You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Well, hello there, fellow Met fans. Welcome to Rico Bronia. Uh, a podcast where we either bitch about the New York Mets or we're very, very happy. Today, we're very happy. The Mets complete a sweep of the Miami Marlins, a three-game sweep of the Miami Marlins, and it's huge for two reasons. Number one, the Atlanta Braves don't lose. The Atlanta Braves took advantage of the Arizona Diamondbacks over the weekend. They won all three games, and so if the Mets got tripped up at any point this weekend, they would have lost some part of their lead in the National League East. But number two, this series had a chance to be a letdown, uh, especially after what happened in the two games against the Yankees. I'm usually not a big believer in the letdown in baseball, but when you play two games against the Yankees with 42,000 people and a playoff atmosphere, and then you go to Depressionville, which is Lone Depot Park, 15,000 people, granted they're mostly Met fans, you could see how there could be a letdown. And considering they fall behind early on Friday night, against Sandy Alcantara, I think we all assumed there was going to be a letdown. I think we all assumed when that bloop double fell in against Chris Bassett in the first inning and Chris Bassett screaming and yelling about the shift, which a part of me agreed with and a part of me said, shut the hell up, you also walked four guys. There was a feeling of, all right, we won three in a row, won two games against the Yankees, Friday night against the Marlins is going to be that letdown we feared. But like what has happened many times this season, the 2022 Mets remind you that they are different, that they are the 2022 New York freaking Mets. Now, Friday night was a very different game for me to watch because usually I'm in front of the game, in front of the TV. I got my scorecard out. It's why the Rico Bronio artwork features the scorecard. I score, I'd say, 95% of Met games. And the games I don't score, I'm still watching very, very intently. But Friday night, I got an invite from my old pal Joe B uh, to go record his live podcast in front of a, a live studio audience. And I had flashbacks because I loved working with Joe, but the one thing that would happen when there was a Met game on, especially during the pandemic, when I was home and he was home during that weird 2020 season, he would have the game 30 seconds before I did because I had everything on like a streaming service. He had cable. So we're doing the show. All of a sudden, I'd hear the Beningo moan. Oh, bro, can you you got to be freaking kidding me with this. And I, I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, wait, now I do. Bases loaded, one out, 6-4-3 double play. I was always 30 seconds behind. So we're recording his live podcast, and there's a live audience. Great turnout, a lot of fun. And they had the Met Yankee games on. And they were like 45 seconds ahead of us because we had two TVs next to us. So we're talking about Robert Sala. And all of a sudden, I see Joe and Clark, New Jersey, stand up and say, yeah. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? What did we say that's so exciting? And then I realized by delay that Starling Marte had hit a home run. So it was a very odd way to watch a game. But I got to tell you, that is... You know, when you make that list, and it's not going to make the top five of great wins because there are so many other wins that just jump out at you for many reasons. But when you think about it, they had won three in a row, let down factor in Miami. They're facing Sandy Alcantara for the 55th time. Hoffman will tell you, Sandy Alcantara is the greatest pitcher in the history of baseball. He loves him. You're down 3-0 early. Chris Bassett's bitching and moaning because of the shift. That had the makings of a loss, and immediately the offense responds. Immediately. And even when they're down 4-3 again, there's this confidence of they're going to find a way. Even when Trevor Williams, of all people, is asked to get big outs in the eighth inning, 
maybe I'm nuts. Maybe it's because I was having a few beers with Beningo. I don't know. I felt different. I felt oddly confident that they were going to find a way to win that game. And that is, that's a hell of a win. And they've done a great job against Alcantara because they have now faced one of the best pitchers in all of baseball four times this year. And he should be the National League Cy Young Award winner, though you know who's going to give him a challenge, Pete? Believe it or not, the guy who may challenge Sandy Alcantara for the NL Cy Young? Who you got a guess? Uh, Carlos Rodon? I'm yeah. smiling, man. Why would I smile? A Chris Bassett? <laughs> no. Max Scherzer? Jacob DeGrom? Edwin Diaz. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I guess so. Look, you guess so? I mean, at some point, look, he has to keep this up. Right now, he's unhittable. Like, that. that's where we've gotten to in this season to the point where Friday night he came, comes one pitch away, essentially, from a, an immaculate inning. Look, I, it's very difficult for a, a relief pitcher to win a Cy Young Award. We've seen it. It's happened before, certainly in our lifetime. I think Alcantara would have to struggle because, look, if Sandy Alcantara finishes with a sub-2 ERA, I'm sorry, he wins the National League Cy Young. But that's not even the point. The Mets have faced Sandy Alcantara four times this season. And here's the reality. They've won half of those games. And that's really all that matters. They got to him twice. Obviously, the game on Friday, they ended up getting to him because he allowed four runs in five innings. There was that game in Miami in late June where he gave up five runs in seven innings. He really had that one bad inning. But they got to him. And then two other times, he was incredibly dominant. Back in June, he had the eight innings, two runs. Then there was the game where he pitched seven scoreless innings and the Mets couldn't hit. They ended up losing later on. I think Adam Adovino gave up a home run to uh, Nick Fortes, if memory serves correct, to lose that game. Or maybe it's a different game. But bottom line is they have faced this guy four times and they've won half the games. And once they were able to pull out Friday, there was, at least in my mind, a feeling of, all right, here we go. We may get ourselves something we haven't seen a lot this year, and that's an extended winning streak. Because they're 64 and 37. They are off to what continues to be the second greatest start in the history of this franchise. But they haven't had a lot of long winning streaks. They've done it based on consistency. They've done it based on winning series. Basically how the season started. When they just went out and won three out of four. Two out of three. Two out of three. Two out of three. And there were times it was frustrating saying, hey, give me a winning streak. Give me a winning streak. And they did with the back-to-back sweeps at home against Philadelphia and Washington. And now, for the second time this season, this team's put together a six-game winning streak. And Friday night was a 2022 Mets-esque victory. Everything about it. Even needing Trevor Williams to pitch the eighth inning. As far as Bassett's concerned, let me address that. I think most of us as fans, at times, will be frustrated with the shift, even though the shift more times than not works. And what's the proof of that? You're not using a shift unless it works. There's a reason you use it. And more times than not, we just don't call attention to it. You'll see someone hit right into the shift. More times than not, if you sat there, and I don't do this, by the way. You may think I do. But if you sat there with a piece of paper, and every time someone hit into the shift, where in a normal world, that's a base hit. But in this weird shifted world, it's caught. And you put a little line down. And then every time someone hit against the shift and beat the shift, you put a little line down. I'm telling you right now, the shift works eight times out of 10. But I get it. When you see the shift or someone destroy the shift, it's very, very frustrating. But my response to Chris Bassett, who I like, I I do. I think we all do. And overall, he's had a, a solid season, though he's had his down moments. Shut up. That'd be my reaction. Shut up. Especially in a game in which you walk four guys. I think that's the problem. I think if Chris Bassett went out and pitched seven innings and allowed one run, and that one run scored because of the shift, I think all of us would say, yeah, you should bitch, you should moan. But the guy went out and walked four guys in six innings. And overall, I give him credit, he pretty much pitched a hell of a game after the first two innings. I mean, he gives up the three runs in the first inning, really with not a lot of hard contact, gives up the run in the second inning, and then settles down and actually gives them six innings. And I think that's been probably one of the best strengths Chris Bassett's had, even in games in which he hasn't been great. He will at least give you quality performance and get you into the sixth inning. But what was great about that win Friday 
was also Brandon Nimmo being the guy to hit the home run because Nimmo is slumped coming out of the All-Star break. You've seen that average slowly dip. And Brandon Nimmo, I read the story. I think Tim Healy wrote it, so I want to give him credit. If it was somebody else, I apologize. That after one of the games on the homestand, Brandon just went out after the game and took extra batting practice. That he's really working his ass off to get out of that slump. And it's great to see it pay off by hitting the game-winning home run against Miami in what was a very 2022-like Met victory. Then you get Carlos Carrasco. How many times have we said this about this guy? We've seen good cookie, and he's the best, and then batting practice cookie. And for a while, there was a lot of batting practice cookie. But on Saturday night against the Marlins, he was freaking fantastic. He was awesome. Mets hit a bunch of home runs, which they don't normally do. And they get themselves a nice little victory. We also saw, and I, I think Hoff's going to hate this, by the way. And I think a lot of Mets fans are going to hate what I'm about to say. I think the Mets are kind of give us an indication with the Tyler Naquin trade, with J.D. Davis pinch hitting for Vogelbach in the eighth inning and it working, him hitting a bomb of a home run of center field, that this is going to be a platoon team. That that's the way they're kind of shifting towards now. I mean, they always were at the DH spot, but even more so when you bring in Naquin, who's more of an everyday player than Jankowski is, and essentially he replaced Travis Jankowski. That I'm, I'm sitting here 48 hours before the deadline not expecting them to add a big DH. That... They are looking at maybe another right-hand bat. And I'm going to throw a name at you that I know some Mets fans will like and some Mets fans will you know, throw rip stuff at me for saying. But I think they're leaning in to this platoon team. And because they're leaning into being a platoon team, Hoff, I don't think they're getting a big bat before the trade deadline. Well, you know, the thing is that you saw what it took to get Luis Castillo, who has control for a couple of years, and it was a haul. I mean, you got three out of five top prospects that went back for Castillo. So I think a lot of these guys are going to be very pricey, a lot more pricey than we expected. I still think that a J.D. Martinez, if available, the Mets are going to be on. Maybe Contreras, but again, his price seems so high right now. But I, I still want to believe that the Mets are going to do it. I don't disagree. They're fixed. They're filling in the gaps. You're right. Like, they realize that J.D. Davis is not competent enough anymore. Dom Smith not competent enough anymore. So, their role, Jankowski, not good enough. So, the fourth outfielder role, filled with Nick. The Dom Smith's role, filled with Vogelbach. I think they're going to fill those and still get that big bat. A lot of moves. Yeah, but, but, that's, but that's what I'm leaning towards, that if they add a bat, it's going to be an upgrade over J.D. Davis. Just a right-handed platoon bat that they look at, kind of like the way they looked at Vogelbach versus Dom, where they say this guy is slightly better. Like, I, I think if the price is, it sinks on J.D. Martinez, and I'm not as concerned about J.D. Martinez because of this season as some people are. Like I know he hasn't had a great year, but I still think he's got another run left in him. They make a deal for him, and all of a sudden he moves up in the standings and he's in a pennant race. We saw what he did in years past after being traded at the deadline. I could see him having, I don't want to say a cesspit a second half because that's too much, but I could see him having a real good two and a half months. It's not like I'm locking him up to some kind of three-year extension. So I know he just had an 0 for 22 and he broke out of it. I'm not worried that J.D. Martinez is done, but I am worried that, and I shouldn't say worried because I'm not sitting here dead set against this, that the Mets are not going to add a significant bat unless the price tag comes down. That they not going to trade any of their top prospects. And if the Red Sox are going to insist on good prospects for J.D. Martinez, the Mets aren't going to make the deal. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash 
the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And they're setting up, and I'll give you the name right now, and I'm not saying it because of his history here. I'm saying it because of what we just described, a right-handed bat that's an upgrade over J.D. Davis, and that guy's Wilmer Flores. Like, Wilmer Flores, when he was here, and Hoff, you're laughing. It has nothing to do with his history here. I swear to you. I'm, I don't have an emotional attachment where I've got to bring Wilmer Flores back. I don't. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not fighting you on it. I, I don't disagree with the move. I just would be like, it'd be one of those things where it's like, of course, Wilmer's the guy that we get in the trade deadline. Because I don't disagree. If you look at his numbers, you look at what he does against left-handed pitching. And overall, he's been serviceable for the, for the Giants all season long. So well, I, I don't here's what it comes down to. Here's what it comes down to. Here's my simple point for anyone scoffing at the idea of Wilmer Flores. Look at his numbers this year. He's an upgrade over J.D. Davis. No one can argue that. I mean, he, he just is. He's got a 780 OPS. He's hit 15 home runs. He's got 55 RBIs. And while these this year's splits don't indicate it, which I'll get to in a second, in his career, he's a lefty masher. That's what he was. I mean, that... His best role is facing lefties. And if I you follow what I just said, which is Vogelbach's an upgrade over Dom. They made that deal. Naquin's an upgrade over Jankowski. They make that deal. Now the move is probably a slight upgrade over J.D. Davis. Well, that's Wilmer Flores because he is. The, the only weird thing about Wilmer this year is I remember from his days with the Mets and certainly just looking at his career numbers, He's much better against lefties than righties. He's the perfect platoon guy with a righty masher like Vogelbach. But I was looking at his numbers this year. It's not that he's bad against lefties. The numbers are actually really similar. Like his OPS is basically the same lefties, righties, but he's slightly better in just about every category against right-handed pitching. So this year's been what I would say is an outlier. I really do because... We watched him for a big bulk of his career, but if they are going to do what I'm projecting they're going to do, which is not get that big everyday DH back, because J.D. Martinez is an everyday player. He's not a freaking platoon player. He's not coming here to play once in a while with Vogelbach facing righties. That's not the case. J.D. comes here, he plays. Um, If they are looking at continuing to improve on the margins, and the Giants, I think, are going to sell, I mean, Flores makes sense, and I'm not saying it based on any emotional attachment. Where am I wrong? He also gives you position versatility, which we know Billy Epler cares about. And, and if I'm correct, Flores is basically playing almost every day. It's not like he's just like only playing against lefties and getting some fair share against right-handed pitching, too. He's He's got 330 at-bats this season. That's like yeah. Lindor's 385. He's not that far off. No, no, he's an everyday player for them. I mean, he's not coming here to be an everyday player because I would look at his career numbers as more of an indicator on what he is. Now, maybe he's grown as a hitter. I should look, what did he do last year, lefty-righty splits? Because did it really change last year? I'll give you the numbers right now. No, nah, he, was, he was better against lefties. It was, it was close, though. Like, it's not an incredible disparity, but against lefties last year, 288 average, 803 OPS, six home runs against righties, 248 average, so 40 points lower, 771 OPS, 30 points lower, 12 home runs. So it's not a huge disparity, but he and his career has been better against left-handed pitching. And, I, and I'd have to imagine the price tag on a Wilmer Flores cannot be that high. It just can't be. The Contreras thing is interesting if the Cubs get off the price tag, because I am actually buying... You know, Andy Martino put it out uh, on Sunday, and I believe this. Martino put out an article that the Mets don't want to be Pete Crow or Armstrong again, that they look back at last year's deal where they gave up such a good prospect and Pete Crow Armstrong for Trevor Williams, for Javier Baez. They don't want to give up a prospect like that again. Now, you could look at that article two ways. It's posturing, 
we see this a lot in the NBA with things that are leaked out with a purpose, that it's the Mets 48 hours before the deadline saying, we're not trading our top prospects. Like, look, we're badasses. We'll walk away from the table. We're not going to give in to your demands, Chicago, or your demands, Boston. So that's one possibility, and it's certainly a possibility. And the other one is, it's the truth that the Mets go into this deadline. Yeah, they want to win a World Series, but they don't look at the players available as worth Francisco Alvarez, Beatty, Vientos, Ramirez, guys like that. It's not that, oh, the Mets are prospect hugging. It's, we don't think these prospects are worth these guys. Like, Wilson Contreras is an upgrade, but it's not worth this. J.D. Martinez is an upgrade, but it's not worth this. Obviously, Juan Soto's different. Shohei Otani is different. So, you could take that information one of two ways. I kind of believe they're not going to trade a top prospect. Like, I'm... I'm naive enough, or maybe it's true, to believe that they're going into this deadline saying, here are the needs we have, but we're not willing to give up this, this, and this for a player on this level. But tell me if I'm wrong, Pete, DH or not, I'm going out here 48 hours before the deadline saying it's the bullpen. Like, that's that's the number one priority. If you don't add a bat, fine, but you have to add a high-leverage reliever before this bullpen, before this deadline ends. Oh my god! And I still can't believe, like, I, even in the Reds trade, I'm like, okay, they get a bullpen arm. He goes to Triple A because he's not—he's nothing. I'm still waiting to, to, for that arm to come through. They—they they need to. And I, now, listen, I heard that haters now being talked about just in general with like other teams. I don't want any part of hater. He's had an awful, awful season recently. Like the—he's the, what? What's the ERA over the past like 12 games? Like 11.52, something like that. It's just brutal. But I—I I don't know what arm they're gonna land. And again. I keep on hearing the Padres now are really in on Contreras and Robertson, which makes me think a little bit. If they're in on Robertson and Contreras, if they land those two players, Soto has less ability to, to be moved. Does that mean that the Mets might be able to swoop in to steal him, or is that just forget about Oh, Soto stop. Stop with this. Ah, come on. Look, I, I want Juan Soto, too. It's not as if I'm you know, brushing it off because I don't want Juan Soto. I do. But two things. Number one, I'll say it right now. I don't think he's getting traded before the deadline. I don't. I don't. I I think that their price tag is so incredibly high, rightfully so, that even if they get a bunch of monster offers, I don't know if this is going to be the moment that maybe they wait till the offseason. I think they will trade him at some point. I'm just not convinced it's going to happen before the August 2nd trade deadline which is weird to say. I'm so used to July 31st, and we're recording this on July 31st, so I'm still feeling like the deadline should be today. But Should have been over at 4 o'clock. They're not getting Juan Soto. Now, you have to understand this, and every Met fan has to understand this. They are not trading the Mets Juan Soto. And for anyone who gets annoyed about me saying Mike Rizzo won't trade inside the division, I'm not agreeing with Mike Rizzo's sentiment. I'm just telling you the facts. So... Forget Juan Soto. I hope he doesn't end up in L.A. I hope he doesn't end up in San Diego. I hope he doesn't end up in St. Louis. When the Mariners got Luis Castillo, you're right, considering the prospect booty they gave up. It's unlikely Juan Soto ends up in Seattle. But he's not going to be a freaking New York Met before August 2nd. It's not going to happen. Now, well, as the, far as the, the Padres, what? What'd you say? If the price tag if the price tag is that high, though, then I can't see him being moved at all. And then I agree. you're looking at a guy like Contreras potentially if if the San Diego Padres are that desperate for a bat they will land the Contreras but the Mets but the Mets aren't gonna I don't think I'll phrase it this way I don't think the Mets are gonna all of a sudden see the Padres going at hard after Contreras and say all right F it we're gonna go trade Beatty now for a rental they they don't value Contreras as high as maybe other teams do or certainly the Chicago Cubs do they don't no, but that means they'll lose Robertson. And that's the guy. That's well, they the guy. That's they don't the have guy. to be connected. I mean, they're, they're, the Cubs are selling a lot of different guys, and I don't necessarily think that Contreras and Robertson have to be connected at the hip. They don't. And there no, are, but they need both men arms, too. Look, and, and, and by the way, you brought up Josh Hader. I don't. I know he's been struggling recently, but why would a first-place team in the Milwaukee Brewers mess around right now unless they're convinced, oh, my God, he's done? <laughs> unless they're just convinced, okay, he sucks. Let's sell him before people realize it. 
because the Brewers are a first-place team. They're not selling. Uh, if anything, they're going to try to fortify and win a championship and win that National League Central. That's what they're thinking about. I, But I'm in a position, and maybe this is what hasn't happened over the last few days that has caused me to think this way. I think they can live without adding a catcher. I think they can live without adding an everyday DH. I really do. I can't live relying on Trevor May coming back Wednesday. I can't live with the idea of, well, Tyler McGill will come back and he'll pitch out of the bullpen. I can't live on trusting that Adam Adovino is going to continue to be as brilliant as he's been. And I can't live with them having nobody who throws from the left side because it ain't going to be David Peterson anytime soon. He's going to come back into the rotation for that doubleheader, and they've got a few doubleheaders. So they're going to need David Peterson in that starting role. They have to add bullpen help. And so I know that star power is the thing for a lot of people, and the offense is still something that could use an upgrade, and of course it could. Could they use another slugger in their order? Sure. Now, when you play a game on Sunday and you get 19 freaking hits and you don't hit a home run, you're like, oh, I don't need power. I think what we saw Sunday, which was awesome, Keith called it a tsunami of offense. Uh, those are outliers. Like, you're going to need to hit some home runs in the postseason, but it's the bullpen, stupid. That's what it is. And if you don't believe me, just remind yourself that Trevor Williams was asked to get big outs on Friday night in a close game. And I can't, I don't know what Trevor May is. I don't want to hear about you know Chris Christie said that to Craig and I the other day. Well, Evan, Trevor May's coming back. Great. The hell does that mean? Trevor May's coming back. What the hell is he? What is he? What, is he Cy Young in his prime? What does that mean? Trevor May's coming back. Great. If Tre- he's a nice guy. If Trevor May's he's a nice guy. He's a very nice guy. Oh, he's a fantastic guy. If Trevor May pitches well, that's fantastic. That's an added bonus. You know, great. But I, I can't buy that logic of Trevor May is like a trade deadline deal. No, he's not. It's it's an overrated relief pitcher coming back after injury. That's what it is. So it's the bullpen. Pete, it's the bullpen. That's what needs to be done before Tuesday night. The bullpen. How many, how many, okay, because now I can... Ask it in the next podcast. We're going to do one emergency one on Tuesday. So for everyone for an alert, we're just getting a little rumor here. Tuesday, there will be a podcast after the deadline and also because something else is happening that day. <laughs> but in your, in your opinion, how many deals will be done by the Mets? Because we're – or let's put it this way. Not, not deals, but how many acquisitions will be coming our way? Because I still think we need three bullpen arms. That's a lot of three? arms. Three? <laughs> three bullpen arms, yes. The guy from the Reds doesn't count. Yeah, no, 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 no. That uh, Philip Deal was a kind of a depth guy, you know, and they they even called up Sam Clay, another left-handed reliever. Those are just depth guys. Though Nagosik, I'm curious to see more of. Nagosik has actually looked good at times when he's been up here. Even Yoan Lopez has looked good. But again, you're trying to win a championship. This is not, you know, audition time. Um, the amount of deals is overrated because if I would have told you two weeks ago the Mets will have made two trades, you would have said. Great. Daniel Vogelbach, nice move. Tyler Naquin, nice move. They're on the margins kind of deals. So it's not about the amount of trades. It's about the impact of the trade. I have a really tough time believing, Pete, that they don't add a significant reliever at the deadline. Because I think Billy Epler knows that. And I don't think the price tag, whether it's David Robertson or someone else, and there are a lot of other relievers that you could add. Uh, I know Robertson is the most appealing. Really, the reason Robertson is the most appealing to me is because I don't have to worry about his ability to pitch in New York. That we've already seen it. And I think that's an added bonus. Sometimes we forget uh, that guys come over here and can't play here. Yankee fans know all about that with Sonny Gray and certainly more recently with Joey Gallo. So I think Robertson at least gives you that calmness of he'll be fine. You know, I'm not worried about his adjustment to New York. I'd have to think they're going to add a reliever. So my guess to you, Pete, is they're going to make one deal. It's going to be for a relief pitcher. I don't think it's going to be two or three deals. And I don't think they're going to add a DH. I'm kind of moving in that direction. And I don't think they're going to add a catcher. Because, and it really depends how Buck manages this. Tomas Nitto, as an everyday catcher, because of his defense, because of his ability every once in a while to run into a, a big hit, 
his ability to lay down a bunt sacrifice, which we saw the other day. And I, I give you something else. I want you to map this out with me. If you've got Nitto and you've got McCann, and you now have maybe Vogelbach off the bench, maybe Guillerme off the bench, maybe Escobar off the bench, right? Not everybody's going to play. So you look at a day like today, forget Starling Marte's off day. Forget that. You had Eduardo Escobar not starting today, right? So you had Escobar off the bench. You had J.D. Davis off the bench. I would treat the catcher spot with Nitto because I would start Tomas Nitto as uh, I'm probably going to use one time that one bullet late in the game because I've got a decent bench, and I think that matters. So, for example, close game late, I'm sending up Vogelbach to pinch hit for Tomas Nitto. I'm sending up Eduardo Escobar to pinch hit for Tomas Nitto. And so, Nito, Nito, not Nito, Nito. Sorry, I'm eventually going to get that. Uh, so I think you can do that. And then obviously after he pinch hits and you use that bullet, hopefully he comes through. You've got James McCann to take over. I know it's not ideal, but Nito really, Nito really is good defensively. And so if they're not going to get Contreras, because if they're not getting Contreras or they're not getting Christian Vasquez from Boston, I don't think Sean Murphy's going to get traded. So they're not going to add a catcher. It's not. Plus, I think Vasquez and Contreras, in a lot of ways, like you said, are kind of attached to another guy they're going after. In Contreras' case, Robertson. In Vasquez's case, J.D. Martinez. But I think Buck, as a platoon manager, because this is becoming a platoon team, you've got your one bullet once a game to pinch it for Tomas Nito late in the game. Because you've got what is now assembled to be a decent bench. Like, this is not a bad bench that the Mets have put together. So you've got somebody, depending on the starting pitcher, obviously, on who plays and doesn't play, you're going to have one pretty capable bat coming off the bench late in the game, one spot. Nito gets his first two at-bats, maybe three at-bats. That fourth time up, seventh inning, eighth inning, dare I say ninth inning, boom. I mean, I mean, you laid it out perfectly, and I, I like it. Again, the depth in the bench is needed. So I, I'm all for it. And I, I still worry about the catching position a little bit. I can't have – is, is McCann set to come back? Yeah. Is he delayed in any way? No. Because you can't, you, can't, you can't have – if McCann gets hurt again, you can't have a combo of Mazika and Nito. Is that saying it right? Yeah. No, you got it. Well, that's why they traded okay. for uh, Perez. <laughs> oh, but that doesn't come on. No, you really can't. I, listen, I don't disagree. I'm not going to go for an arm and a leg to get to get a, a a catcher, a backup catcher, or DH or whatever it is. But if it's it, you, I would still find if we can find a defense. If, if you're just getting these little defensive upgrades or little offensive upgrades, or whatever it is, I I do one more for a catching spot because I don't need Mrs. A in the uniform anytime soon. But by the way, and, and I think I mentioned this the last time, or I mentioned this on the air. I, I forget where this went. If they trade for Wilson Contreras, which I'd put it about 25%. I think it's possible because they are talking to Chicago. They are interested in David Robertson. If they get Wilson Contreras, I am not convinced he becomes the everyday catcher. I'm not. I think he catches a couple of days a week, depending on which pitchers are kind of developing chemistry with him. And then I think he's your right-handed DH. Because Contreras is another guy, he mashes left-handed pitching. And so I think that defensively because they know how good Nito is and they appreciate Nito. Now, you're going to have to carry three catchers if you do that. Because if you're DHing a catcher half the time, it's not ideal for versatility purposes to have your backup catcher essentially at the DH spot, just in case you do want to pinch hit for your starting catcher. And now you got to move your DH to catcher, screws the whole thing up. But I don't know if I'll ever be proven right about this because they'd have to trade for Wilson Contreras. But I think if they trade for him, he's a part-time catcher and he's a part-time DH. That's how I think they would use him. That's what I really do. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. 
So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A couple of things to get to. Obviously, the Sunday game was great. Taiwan Walker was good. He ran into trouble in that fifth inning and in that sixth inning. So he wasn't able to get his quality start. But Taiwan Walker, two starts into the second half of the year, fine. Okay, not dominant, not amazing, doesn't have to be, but certainly fine in the way he battled in the Yankee game. And this start was a little bit different because over the first four innings, he was really good. I think there were about four base runners against him, so maybe one base runner per inning. And then he really ran into trouble in the fifth and sixth, but he ran into trouble with a 7 nothing lead, which, you know what, go out there, throw strikes. If you give up a couple of hits, it's not a big deal. So Taiwan Walker after an abysmal second half last year, has at least gotten off to a respectable start in the second half this year. Really, the story of the Sunday game was the offense. I mean, they killed you by paper cuts in that first inning. Lindor, double. Alonzo, double. Vogelbach, single behind in the count. McNeil, single. Canna, single. They get a bunt freaking hit from Patrick Mazika. Uh, Luis Guillerme, a couple of base hits. Tyler Naquin with an RBI triple. So just a lot of paper-cut base hits against Pablo Lopez. They hammer that poor guy's trade value. <laughs> he gave up 12 hits in two and two-thirds. But what I loved about what they did, and this is why I, you know, I don't like the Kansas City Royals from 2015, but I, I think it's a compliment if you ever compare a team to the Royals. This lineup reminds me of the 2015 Kansas City Royals. Because in this game, in a game in which you'll talk about all the base hits and you'll talk about all the runs scored, as you should, there was another stat that was remarkable in this game against the Miami Marlins. Was it the nine runs? Was it all the base hits? The fact they didn't hit a home run? No, 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 no. I'm holding up one finger, Pete, and it's not the middle finger. That one finger indicates how many times the New York Mets as a team struck out one freaking time in 2022. And when you think back to that World Series against Kansas City that still haunts my nightmares, the Mets had strikeout pitchers, loaded with strikeout pitchers. Matt Harvey, Jacob DeGrom, Noah Syndergaard, we know. And that team would give you ferocious at-bats. That Royal team would give you battles. This Met lineup gives you battles. So... We talk all about, oh, they need to add another bumper. And it would be nice if they did. But this lineup, the way it's constructed, may on paper may not scare the crap at you, but it's a good, feisty, pain-in-the-ass lineup. It really is. Now the headline story. And that is the fact that on Tuesday night in Washington, D.C., assuming there's no setback in the next 48 hours, which always worries you, we are going to get to see the return of the great Jacob DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom will pitch Tuesday against Washington. He will be online to face the Atlanta Braves in the finale of that five-game series against Atlanta. He's online to face the Braves again in Atlanta. He's online to face the New York Yankees at Yankee Stadium in August. Card subject to change because our biggest concern about Jake is the fact he hasn't been able to stay healthy. But Jacob DeGrom met the media before the game. And while one of the headlines people will take out of it will be, Jake's still opting out. No kidding. Of course he's going to opt out. Even if he doesn't pitch, he has a chance to make more than $32 million next year because of what he did in 21, because of what he did in 20, because there aren't many great pitchers in baseball. So Jake's going to get paid. Now, obviously, if he has a serious injury and gets shut down again, maybe there'd be some concern. But even on a short-term, short-term deal, he get paid. So I get why that's a headline. And maybe some will use that to divide us and some will use that to scare us. I'm not scared. I'm not worried about the offseason until the offseason. We will worry about the Jake situation when we get there. My opinion will be very obvious. They have to keep him, obviously. I have no interest in seeing Jacob DeGrom pitch anywhere else. But Jacob DeGrom said something very interesting because the thing that concerns me about him is his health. That's it. That's all I care about. Can you stay healthy? This is a guy who, when he pitches, when he pitched in 2021, was historical. Let's not forget what he did in 2021 when he pitched. He had a 1.08 ERA in 15 starts. He was like freaking Bob Gibson on steroids. So Jacob DeGrom 
talked about what he did during all the downtime. And I want to read you a quote because I thought this was fascinating because I've been concerned about Jake's health before he even started getting hurt. I would bring up to Beningo on the midday show, it scares me that he throws this hard this often. And that's been the thing I've always brought up for years. But I always give you this disclaimer, which I think we should all give. I am not a pitcher. (laughs) I'm not. I don't freaking know. I'm just telling you it worries me. I don't know if Jake throwing 101 is the reason he's hurt. I could act like I know, but you'd all see right through me. What the hell do I know? I top out at 49 when I play fan baseball. All I've ever said, and it's, I think, a reasonable opinion, is that, and I said this for years, it scares me that Jake throws as hard as often as he does. But maybe there's something else that's caused his injuries. Jake said in 2018 and 2019, now those are the years in which he won Cy Youngs and pitched, I felt I was at my best mechanically. I took a lot of time to look at those videos and try to get back there. I noticed I was a little more upright and leaning a little more towards first base on my follow-through most recently than in those years. With this time and able to work on things, I feel like I got my mechanics back to where I want them. And what I find interesting about that is I wanted to know if the New York Mets and Jacob deGrom over the last year and a half have self-examined what the hell is going on. Why is he getting hurt? I'm just asking the why. I don't freaking know. Is it, is it just ah, bad luck? Is it that? Is it the conspiracy theorists who say, oh, he's never been hurt? He just likes to go into MRI machines because it turns them on. I mean, I don't know. And so I liked hearing the professor himself, Jacob DeGrom, self-examine, hey, I know I've been hurt the last two years. Why? And I want to find out why. And if it's what he was describing, which is just basically his mechanics, and he's always been all over his own mechanics, and maybe he's identified something that's caused these injuries. I'm not saying it has. None of us truly know. Even Jake doesn't know. That at least warms me up to the idea of maybe this can be fixed. Because more so than the Mets, not more so, because more so is winning, but up there with the fact that Jake not pitching has hurt the Mets' ability to win is that we have Met fans haven't had a chance to watch an all-time great pitcher pitch every five days. And we were for a while, even though some people didn't realize he was all-time great at the time. But in 2018, think about what we witnessed. Yeah, the team sucked, but look what we witnessed every five days. Look what we witnessed in 2019. Look what we witnessed in 2020, even though it was such a weird season. And yes, in 2021, when he pitched until it all ended in early July, he had a 1.08 ERA. Jake talks about his mechanics the last two years, 20 and 21. Obviously, two shortened seasons, 20 because of the pandemic, 21 because of himself. In those two seasons, he's made 27 starts. He's thrown 160 innings. He had a 1.63 ERA. Like, think about this. If Jacob deGrom stays healthy and has a 2.5 ERA, 2.5, I think we'd all be pretty happy, right? I think we'd all be thrilled. He's been so much better than that, though. That, that's what I think sometimes we forget. So I hope that Jake has figured it out and it is something as simple as mechanics And more than a pitching line from what I'm hoping for on Tuesday or even Sunday against Atlanta, I want him to feel good and I want him to pitch. Because I am tired as a fan. You are all tired as fans of having to refresh Twitter on a day in which Jacob DeGrom goes for an MRI. And I don't want to go on the radio and talk about his velocity as if I know anything about why he's getting hurt. I don't know why he's getting hurt. None of us know why. And I don't want to speculate about it anymore because hopefully it doesn't happen anymore. But Tuesday night's going to be special. We're going to see him pitch. And whatever the pitch count is, I accept. If, it's, if he only pitches four innings or five innings, I accept. And hopefully he can stay healthy because the Braves are not going away. You know, and we've said that a lot, Pete. They're not going away. And so those five games at City Field next weekend and those four games in Atlanta the following week, nine times the Mets are going to take on the Atlanta Braves. And uh, it's going to be a war. 
because they're good and they're not going away. So let's go, baby. I'm looking forward to it. And by the way, just to update something that we spoke about a little earlier uh, during our podcast, Pat Ragazzo, which I'm not really familiar with his work as much, but he texted from what he, what he's heard, Red Sox current ask for J.D. Martinez is very high. I'm not sure if you saw this. One top five prospect, one player from MLB roster, plus an additional piece and or cash. Yeah, and, and if that's the ask, they're not going to get it. I'll be, I'll be honest, I, I, I like J.D. I think he changes the dimension of this lineup, and I do think he's going to perform better than what we've seen in the first half, but this is a poker game now, Pete. The Red Sox are playing poker. They're asking for a lot. The Mets are playing poker, saying we're not giving you a lot, and we're going to find out who cracks before 6 o'clock on Tuesday. It's, it's simple as that. I don't think the Mets are going to crack. 6 o'clock on Tuesday. Now now it's going August 2nd, and then they moved it from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock. What the hell's going Dude, on? Dude, I'm still used to midnight. <laughs> I remember the midnight trade deadline. <laughs> oh, that's right. Midnight back in the day. Listen, I, I, I'm all for you know changing it up, especially with the fact that there's no August trade deadline deadline anymore. Like I used to like that, like the, the, the waiver claims and whatnot. I was all about that. So the fact that they eliminated that, like if you push the deadline back a little bit more, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I I thought with all these extra playoff teams, we are moving to a day where the trade deadline would be a little bit later. Um, I think the reason it's August 2nd, and this is just speculating, is because the season is ending a little bit later because of the lockout. But July 31st, which is when we're recording this on Sunday, would have been the perfect day for it. And midnight would have been the perfect time because... Right now, there's only a Sunday night game going on. The game's usually over by 10 o'clock. And I think there's no game, so you don't have guys getting traded in the middle of games. Tonight would have been an event. I think people would have been locked in on their TVs. 10 o'clock at night, oh my God, what's going to happen? 11 o'clock at night, oh my God, what's going to happen? So, I don't know. They they made it Tuesday at 6 o'clock. You're right, it sort of feels kind of random at this point. But whatever, we'll see what happens. Hey, one other thing I really liked about what the Mets did in beating Miami in this Sunday game The Mets, and a lot of teams have this issue. The Yankees had this issue last year. You win the first two games of a three-game series. You win the first three games of a four-game series. actually happened to the Yankees over the weekend. And finishing the sweep is always difficult. So coming into this game where the Mets were looking for the sweep, the Mets had looked for a sweep six times this season. And I'm not including two-game series. We're going to take the Yankees series out. Three-game series, four-game series. They looked for a sweep six times coming into today, and they had only swept two teams all season long. So they were two and four in these games. Um, So it's good to see that change with what they were able to do, securing their third sweep of the year. And if you want the answers of when they swept, you should remember it was the Phillies at home Memorial Day weekend, and it was Washington right after that. That's the other time they had a six-game winning streak this year when they went 6-0 and at home by sweeping those two series. And what's really exciting going into this Washington series with Max Scherzer, with Jacob DeGrom, with Chris Bassett. They should sweep the Nationals. The Nationals are freaking awful. They're a bad baseball team. Patrick Corbin is going to pitch the first game of this series. In his last start against the Dodgers, he didn't get out of the first inning. He's got like a 59,000 ERA. It's so tough to even calculate it. The ERA is so bad. Now, I'm not trying to jinx the Mets here. Now watch Patrick Corbin pitch seven scoreless. But when you look at the guys on the mound, when you look at how bad Washington is, dude, there's no reason to not have a nine-game winning streak going into the five-game series against Atlanta. That's the truth. Now, the Braves have an off day on Monday, and they have two games with Philadelphia. So, Mets have three games. Braves have two games. You know what that means? You should gain ground on Atlanta going into that series. This lead should be three and a half. Maybe the Phillies actually give you help. They've played well, and they did win two out of three against Atlanta last week. So the Mets should at least go into this five-game series with, at minimum, at minimum, a three and a half game lead. At least I would hope so. And it's looking as if, looking ahead, and I do do this once in a while, here are your matchups as of now. Carrasco, Kyle Wright on Thursday. Taiwan Walker, Ian Anderson on Friday, Max Peterson, Max N. Peterson on Saturday, Max Freed and somebody on Saturday for Atlanta, so we could get Scherzer Freed, and then Spencer Strider and Jacob DeGrom on Sunday to wrap up this five-game series. Let's freaking go! 
<laughs> I love it, dude. That's that. This is getting exciting now. And that, I said this early on in the season. We didn't need Degrom to be competitive and win a World Series. But my God, if he comes back Tuesday and is who we all think he's going to be, this is going to be. You thought this was a special season. Now it's only going to get. Well, back. it's bro. It's special. I mean, they are off to their second best start in the history of the franchise, which I've said a lot, but it continues to be at that pace. They're not quite the 86 Mets who are 69 and 32, but this team is 64 and 37. I mean, they're only five games off that pace of the 86 Mets, three games ahead of the 88 pace, four games ahead of the pace from 2006 and 1999. But look, it's all about how you finish, <laughs> not, not what you do through 101 games. Pete said it earlier, after the Tuesday game, which is the second game of this series against Washington, we will do a podcast. We will do a Rico Bronia for two reasons. Number one, the trade deadline. So we'll react to what the Mets did do or didn't do. And we'll obviously react to Jacob DeGrom's return, his first start in over a year. We will do a podcast after the series as well at some point because I'm driving back from Washington. I will be going uh, to the finale of this series. Uh, So we've got two podcasts locked in coming up this week right after the, the, the deadline Tuesday night and reaction to Jake's start. And then obviously to wrap up the Washington series and to look ahead to what will be a pivotal five game series against the Atlanta Braves coming up on Thursday night from City Field. So, Mets fans, take a deep breath. We are in first place. And as frustrating as it may be that the Braves didn't lose, think about if you're a Brave fan. You're the Atlanta Braves. You go out, you sweep the Diamondbacks, you feel good, and you can't gain any ground on us. Think about that. And think about the fact that we're going to stare into those bastards' eyes Thursday night. At City Field, where I hope the Mets get 40000 every single night as they take on the Atlanta Braves. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronia. Obviously, download, review it, do whatever the hell you want. Craig and I will be in all this week for the most part. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. The great Pete Hoffman will fill in for us after the Yankee game on Wednesday afternoon, which allows me to go to Washington to see the Mets against the Nationals. Thank you, Pete. And thank you for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.